True Multifamily is an On Air Brands production and a proud member of the On Air Brands Network. This is True Multifamily, the show where we dive in on what really happens after closing a multifamily property. We're going to expose the role of asset manager. That's a person who has a responsibility of seeing the vision, executing the plan, and managing people, budgets, and timelines, all to deliver returns for our investors. These are the real struggles, the real victories, and the real stories of asset management. Welcome back to another episode of True Multifamily. I'm your host, Justin Fraser, here today with Jonathan Bombacci. Jonathan from Candor Realty from, where are you in today? Massachusetts? Yep. Yeah, we're right out of Lowell, Massachusetts, just north Thank of Boston. Thank you for joining me, man. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to meet you. You came through a referral of a, of a mutual friend, and so very excited to talk to you today. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, the, the content you've had on the show is great, so just happy to be a part of it. I really appreciate that. I appreciate meeting uh, someone that's listened to the show. And, uh, you know, we're starting to grow in following. So it's it's uh, exciting for all, for you guys listening. Um, if you want to be on the show, if you got a great true multifamily story, send me a message and we'll get you on the show. We'd love to, to have you here. So, Jonathan, um, you've got a great story for us today. And, you know, normally I have someone sort of give an introduction and a little bit of a background, but your first story is about your very first deal. So let's just dive right in and you can tell us about being a finance major and figuring it out and jumping right in with a house hack. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So so my story starts right in the beginning. I graduated college, um, got a good job, nice brand new finance car. Um, I was a, a finance major, so I knew everything that was going on, went to get a, a house loan and the bank told me I had too much debt. And I was only approved for like a $100,000 condo, mm. which I was in Connecticut at the time. Um, prices are a little bit more expensive, but you can find really crappy condos for $100,000. Um, so I went and looked at a bunch of crappy condos and, and hated it. Someone told me being the finance manager where I knew everything in the world. Someone told me that you can use rental income to qualify for a bigger house. And so I went and looked at a couple of three families. I found a three family where the vacant unit was a four bedroom. Um, and it was nicer than all the crappy condos I've been looking at. And the bank told me I could buy it. Let's unpack that real quick because there's there's a lot of good <laughs> stuff there. Um, you know, talk to me about first first step that, you know, coming out of school, being a finance major of all majors um, and, and what you're taught in school about money or as a finance major. And then th- this seemingly friend of yours or, or just someone that sort of mentioned offhand, like, you know, you can get rental income too. Like how, how do those worlds kind of collide? It, 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 it was just kind of like the, in school, I learned almost nothing about money. Mm-hmm. So like personal finance was not something that was taught, like, you know, uh, applying for a mortgage, dealing with car to credit debt, like, you know, doing that type of stuff was not something I was taught. I graduated school under the assumption that, um, and I don't know if this was passed me from classes or teachers or, or family, but under the assumption that I'm going to make the least amount of money ever in my first year so I can afford to buy whatever the heck I want and finance it because every year I'm going to be making more money. And, and like, that was, that was my impression. Like, of course yeah. I can buy a car. Of course I can do these things because next year I'm even making more money. Right. So you got and a like, job, you had a job, right? Uh, I had a but, job. You, but you immediately picked up all this extra debt. Immediately picked up all the extra debt um, because that's what, that's what you do. That's what you do. Um, Why not? That's what you do. And then, you know, of course I, you know, now I want to buy a house and I just, I just wasn't able to do it. Um, and then I think it was actually my grandmother who owned a bunch of investment properties, who was the one that kind of told me about it. And I think she was kind of prodding me in the direction that, um, hey, like, don't be an idiot, like do this, but did it in a, in a format that actually made me pay attention. And she, you know, she owned a, a, a couple of properties, like I'd say like three, like not, not a ton. She had sure. a, a single family rental, a duplex and like a vacation house that she rented out. 
but like she smart grandma she, she told me like hey like go look at something like that and then i talked to my lender and sure enough they're like yeah sure that works and then it, it just kind of all clicked like i didn't know what i did for a long time um i i was living in the house you know i i had two tenants on the first floor they one of them left i increased the rent um the other one you know uh, would you know left a couple years later i increased the rent my brother graduated from college and didn't have a place to live so he moved into me I'm going to pause like you there real quick, John. I'm going to pause you there real quick and, and back up because you, you skipped a little bit of the good part that I want to get into, which oh, is, uh, no, that's okay. That's that's great. Um, I, I just want to break it down because we, this is your first, the first guest I think I've had that's really getting into the detail of the, like your first house was your first multifamily. And so uh, I love it. And it's really awesome. So tell me from, from the point of grandma saying, hey, look at rental property. You knew if you were to buy it yourself, you could get a hundred thousand dollar condo. Uh, how, how does that compare when you're looking at a, I know you ended up buying a triplex. So like, what was the price on the triplex that you could buy? So this was 2011. Um, so the, the world was a little bit on fire. Um, it was listed at 235. Um, and I ended up buying it for 195. So, and so, buy, but it, so it was pretty much double what I was looking at in terms of the condo. And so this triplex this is where you, then you were going to live in this, right? So this is going to be your own house. Yep. Yep. And so, you know, the, the vacant unit was the, the top floor. It was four bedrooms, one bath. And like, wow. I never that's thought a, of living big, in a multifamily. It's a big it's unit. It's a big house. Yeah, it was, it was bigger than all the condos. It was nicer than all the condos and the banks that I could buy it. So it was just, it, it really wasn't a thought out plan. It was just, it, it happened to work. And it was, I either buy this or I end up renting. And I, and I just didn't, I just didn't want to rent. And then in my head, I was also like, well, I'm, I'm pretty much living in an apartment. And I'm paying myself rent as opposed to living in an apartment and paying someone else rent. So as a finance major that I was, thought it was a genius idea and just kind of rolled with it. At that time, you know, what, what was going on sort of socially where your friends buying real estate, I'm assuming not the other finance majors, people just out of school. I mean, you know, were you just odd man out or, or explain that a little bit? Yeah. So, I mean, um, you know, I, I was, I was working for a fortune 100 company in, um, in Connecticut. I, you know, most of my, my peers and, and finance were, were also in, you know, the same boat around the same age, you know, graduated from the same type of school, had the same type of, of debt and everything. Um, and what I kind of found was, you know, over the course of a, a few years, um, my debt was disappearing. My, my car was becoming paid off. My student loans were, were in really good shape. And I was realizing that my, my peers were still kind of struggling and they were renting, they were, they were doing a bunch of things like that. And that's kind of when, you know, I sat down and, and looked at my monthly statements for the first time in, you know, as a finance manager, never looked at my monthly statements. But after about five years and kind of realized that there was this delta between what I was experiencing in terms of, you know, extra income and what my peers were experiencing, that the big difference was the fact that, you know, over the course of five years, I wasn't paying a mortgage and I wasn't paying rent. I was, I was living for free in this three family in Connecticut while my, my peers were paying 1500 bucks a month to, to rent an apartment. So good. So, so the way that the numbers shook out, you know, you had tenants in the other two units they were covering your, your living expenses. Essentially. Yeah. So like my mortgage payment was actually, I still have the house today. So my mortgage payment is $1,900 a month. Um, when I purchased the property, one unit was being rented for 850. The other unit was being rented for 770. So it didn't quite cover a lot of it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, when you, when you factor in some of the carrying costs and a bunch of other things, it was still a lot better than, than paying rent. Um, well, yeah. Rent, I'm sure, you know, in an area you wanted to be in, you know, you're probably talking, what, at least, you know, a thousand dollars, 1500 more, who knows? At least, yeah, a thousand right. to 1200. Um, okay. And then those tenants moved out. I did a little work. We got those rents up to like 950 each. So right. now it's pretty much covering the mortgage. 
my brother moved in with me and started throwing me, you know, a few hundred dollars a month. And all of a sudden I was, I was living for free and the, the property was in good shape, didn't need any capital repairs, didn't need anything like that besides the occasional, you know, re replacing something somewhere. But, um, but we were, it was, it was a lot better than the alternatives and we were, we were paying down our debt and we were, um, we were living in a house as opposed to renting. Yeah. And I love that. And I actually recommend that to a lot of people who are house hacking is don't just look at the other units for rental income, but look at the unit that you're going to be living in. And, you know, if you're just out of college, you know, you're used to having roommates and you're used to living with other people. So you brought your brother in and now you're, you're maximizing your investment even, even more. Right. And you're, you're renting out another bedroom there. Why not? That's yeah. such, such a good call. Yeah. Yeah. It worked out. It worked out well. And like I said, like I, at the end of the five years, I was like, Oh shit, I just, in, I just invented something new. And then like a quick, a quick Google search was like, no, it's not new. It's been around forever, but like, it's not talked <laughs> about like as a finance major, right. it never entered my head as something that someone would do intentional and never entered my head as something that normal people did. It was just, it was solving a housing need at the time. And over the course of the five years, it made a lot of sense. And I looked back at it and said like, okay, great. I, I, I got myself off the ground in an accidental, but good way. But I wasn't really thinking about it as, you know, a future career or something that I wanted to do. It was just, okay, great. Like I, I did something smart. Um, I just didn't know it was smart at the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, it sounds like you're telling me a pretty rosy story as far as, you know, you got tenants in, you paid off a lot of your debt. You know, what were some of the tough lessons that you learned as, as a first-time landlord? Don't be friends with your tenants. Don't tell <laughs> okay. them you're in the building. I mean, those, are, those are kind of two big things. Yeah. Tell um, me about that. How, how do you learn not to be friends with your tenants? Sounds like there's, there's something there. So I like, like friendly with tenants. So like, you know, one of the, one of the women downstairs had a, had a, had a kid that was a, a little bit younger than me. And they were, they were pretty much paying rent using their mother's social security because she was disabled and, and living in the apartment. I mean, it was unfortunate, but the, the mother was older and she, she passed away. And there was, that was the sole source of income. And so, you know, when all that happened, you know, you know, I, I knew them pretty, pretty well at that point that I'd probably been there a year and they'd been there a year. Um, and they were, you know, decent people. And it was just like, you know, the first couple of months we, we try to figure some stuff out and then, you know, and then we, we try to get them help from the state. We try to get them help from a number of different areas, but they were just unmotivated to try to get the help. And then like eventually, you know, six months without collecting any rent, yeah. Um, we, we kind of had to go through the, the process. Um, and it was, it was, it was tough because we kind of had that, that personal relationship. I wasn't really treating them as a, it wasn't really treated as a business, but at the same time, you know, going through that kind of opened the eyes into, you can be a responsible landlord, but, um, but sometimes you just have to, you just have to treat the, the property as, as an asset instead of, instead of a, a liability. You know, I, I think uh, every great landlord has has gone through something like that, and and you've learned your lesson the hard way, and you learn your lesson by not collecting rent for six months, right? And for six months, yeah, and then three months of an eviction, and then and then the state giving them another two months to move out, and uh, it ended up being a while. <laughs> so you're like almost a year there. Oh my goodness. It was it was it was a good it was a good ten months, uh, and a lot of it was because you know the first six months I didn't do anything. And, you know, and it, and, it, and it was tough. And then at the end, like at the end, like they were moving out, they moved to another apartment and they, they got some state assistance. But like, mm. it was because we went through the eviction process that they got the state assistance. If I had started it earlier, they probably would have gotten it earlier. I, I probably didn't do them a whole lot of favors dragging my feet. But at the same time, I was, I was a new landlord and it was a, 
it was a tough situation. Yeah, I'd like to explore that a little further with you, that the idea of treating your investment like a business, the line gets blurry. You know, look, you go buy a big apartment complex and you have a professional management company. Like, it's very easy to say, this is a business. I'm treating it like a business. I have a business plan and, and all of that. But in, in your instance, it's like, this is your home. You're living there, your first property out of school. Um, you know, how do you, how, you know, it, in addition to this great story you just told, you know, how do you start to draw the line and separate yourself from that property so that you can treat it like a business? Any tips on that? I mean, the, the thing that I kind of recommend, so we, we now help people house hack, which is, which is great. We'll probably get into that story a little bit, a little mm -hmm. bit later. Um, but a lot of times what I kind of tell people is, you know, if you're going to live in the property, like don't, you don't have to disclose that you're the owner. Yeah. Someone can do a public record check and kind of see what's going on, but they don't know that you're the sole owner. So normally I kind of tell them like, pretend you have another business partner, pretend you have to clear it with someone. And that could be your spouse. That could be your, 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 you know, the person you're living with, that could be, you know, your parents, but just kind of whenever they ask for something, don't give them an answer. Like you're calling the yeah, shots, just kind of say, Oh, let me, you know, great. Let me, let me, let me talk to my partner. Let me talk to the owner. Let me talk to the property manager. Let me talk to somebody. And then that gives you an out where you're not the one that, that's being the bad guy. And, and they're not associating you with the one that made the decision, even mm -hmm. though at the end of the day, you know, you, you could just be, you know, picking up your phone and, and calling your girlfriend or something and, right. and making the decision. It also gives you time to think about it. Even, even if you end up making the same decision you would have, I'm never comfortable making those decisions sort of on, on the spot. Like I'm face to face with a tenant. They're telling me their sob story and now I've got to, you know, make a decision one way or the other. Like you need time to kind of process that and clear your head about it so you don't get emotionally invested in it. And, and another example of that is, you know, um, one of one of my tenants had a had a had a family member who was in a house that had a fire, and they had no place to to go, and they and they wanted to stay in the extra rooms. And guess what? They had a ton of extra crap from the other units, and they cornered me and kind of told me the story and said, "Hey, can we can we store some stuff in the basement?" And what was your answer? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm so sorry you had a fire. Of course, you can store stuff in the basement. Yeah, right. It's, it's hard to say no, right? It's hard. It's and hard then, to say no. And then six months later, I have a basement full of crap that's not going anywhere and I have to pay for a clear out because, you know, they've, they've moved into another place. They don't no longer want their, their fire damaged stuff and they're, they're sure as heck not going to, they're not, not going to go get it. And they're it's not going to pay those, you like, for it. They're not going to pay you to store it. And now it's become your problem. Now it's become my problem. And, you know, I have a, have a basement full of stuff that, you know, is probably collecting mildew and creating, creating mold and creating a bit of a fire hazard because I have all this off in the basement that shouldn't be there. Well, listen, this has been a really great look at your very first triplex. Uh, I'm really appreciative of you coming on the show. Um, this is going to be a special two-part episode because our very next episode, John is coming back to tell us about how he moved on from that triplex and did another house hack and now has a massive, massive uh, $20 million property under con portfolio under contract. So stay tuned. Come back to the next episode to listen to that. But just to recap this one, John, I love that, you know, you heated grandma's advice, right? And you you were not sort of happy with that 100K crappy condo and you, you heard grandma's voice and you made a smart decision and then you figured it out. And yes, you know, we're, you're, you can be emotionally vested when you're living there and you, you're friends with the tenants and you let them slide on the rent. Um, but all of that, I think, is a necessary sort of trials and tribulations to go through so that you can be a stronger, more efficient landlord and asset manager 
and then go on to do some really big projects like this next one that you're going to tell us about. That's a nice little teaser. You guys stay tuned for next week's episode where John is back to share that story with us. Thank you so much. If you like this episode, please give it a thumbs up, like us, ratings, reviews, all that great stuff. We will see you next time. John, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Justin. Thanks for having me. And I've always kind of said it's okay to make mistakes. Just don't make the same mistake twice. And that's kind of the, the way that we kind of did that. I made, I made some mistakes along the way, but, um, but every time you make a mistake, it's just an opportunity to learn from it. Such good advice. Absolutely. Got to live by that. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week for part two of your episode. So John, this has been a great episode. How can our listeners find out more about you? Yep. So, so thanks for having me. Um, having me. Uh, my, my website is kendallrealty.com. You, you can find me on there or um, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram. Um, you can also kind of, um, you know, text me if you, if you find my cell phone. A quick Google search should pull you up. I'm a, I'm a real estate agent in, in Lowell, Massachusetts. So it should be easy to find me um, via Google. <laughs> awesome. And we will put all of your social and links on our website, truemultifamily.show, where you can read the show notes and get in contact with John. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to another episode. Check out our website at truemultifamily.show. And if you have an amazing story to tell, share it on our Facebook community, and you might just be the next guest on the show. We're also on all other social networks. Just search True Multifamily. I'm really, really proud to have this show produced by our company, On Air Brands. Check us out at onairbrands.com. We also have an incredible, unique podcasting event that we would love for you to be a part of. Check that out at podmax.co.